Hey, it's Lacey J. And I'm Ben. This, this is Mowage. everyone welcome we're back with another episode of mowage it is episode number five i believe and we are going to be talking to ben about what are we talking about ben kind of your your journey in manhood i don't know how to describe it well i mean i guess the the episode is called masculinity but i think it's going to be you know kind of a at least through my eyes and I guess through your eyes as well, my kind of navigating um, the sort of tenets of masculinity that I was sort of raised to believe mm-hmm. and then how um, how I've had to reconcile reality mm-hmm. with those early lessons, basically. Yeah, it's interesting. So let's talk about when, how old were you when we met? Well, how old were we? We're the same age. We're the same age. Just a few so, months apart. But yeah. we met in, well, yeah, so we met in December. So, so we, we would have been the both same age. had our birthday. So what were we, like 34? Something like that, yeah. Is that right? Yeah, yeah that sounds right. right. Because you have turned 43 this year, and I will turn 43, and then we'll hit that nine-year um, like mark of our first date in yeah. December. So yeah, so from 34 to 43, you've had kind of like a a transformation, I think. And what's interesting about it and what we'll touch on today is how how this came about. Like what what were the factors and um you know, our political climate and our social climate has been drastically changing over these years as well. And and we'll talk a little bit about like if that um has been a factor for you. Yeah. Um or not. So uh yeah, I guess like let's just start with um you know, what, what you touched on, how you were raised, like what, what was the impression when I met you at 34 that you sort of still had about what it means to be a man? Um, well, I mean, I, I think that's probably two different things because okay. between when those lessons were sort of levied upon me and then when I started to change mm-hmm. was well before we met, but right. Otherwise this relationship may not have lasted. Yeah. 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 Right. Right. I came in at the, the kind of the right timing, which we'll also t- touch on in a second, yeah. but yeah. So let's talk, like dive into kind of where your mindset was. And then, you, you know, we can talk about, you had three previous really kind of long-term yeah. I'm in love sort of relationships yeah. before you met me. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, let's just kind of talk about how how your mindset affected those relationships as well. Okay. So do, do you want me to start the way sort of like how I was how yeah. I was raised? Yeah, let's okay. hear it. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, I guess my my formative years were were pretty pretty normal, you know, like suburban household, uh firmly kind of middle class. Um my parents got divorced when I was young I, I don't know i was probably three when my mom and dad got divorced so and i was six just interesting very different circumstances yeah. between <laughs> why our parents got divorced yeah but yeah and honestly like <laughs> I, I i hear stories from from both both of my parents about why 
that happened. And I, I don't know at this point, like it doesn't really matter, no. but I think over the years I had heard different mm, perspectives. Well, everybody's going to have their yeah. own, you know, um, spin yeah. on things. Yeah. So, I mean, especially it's a human thing to spin it in a, your own favorable yeah. way. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we all want to do that because we don't want to think bad things about ourselves. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Or have our kids think bad things about us. Sure. Um, So my mom uh, ended up remarrying a couple years later uh, to a guy named Jeff. That was in 85, I think, when they got married. So I was, I just turned seven when they got married. And my dad remarried a woman named Sherry. Um, And so we were living in north of Dallas. My dad was living in Dallas and I would basically go and visit him on the weekends. My sister and I would. Um, and it was really on those weekends. Like, I, I don't feel like there was a whole lot of lessons in like manliness coming from my, my, you know, coming from my weekday home. Like my mother was very loving, very, uh, you know, just, just a wonderful person. Um, and Jeff, the, the man, she, she was, a, she is a nice lady. She is. I've never met Jeff. Um, because of course, uh, they were divorced by the time. You yeah. Met, but. You know, and they had, I think, you know, that, that, that marriage didn't end well, but Jeff, Jeff was always a good stepfather. Like he, yeah. And so he was really, I mean, he was the, the dad in the house most of the time through the majority of your like childhood yeah. and adolescent yeah. years. Yeah, right? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 But I would, I would also say he was always like there, I, there was something there and I don't know if it was maybe some conversation they had had, but it was unspoken. But when I look back on it now, it was absolutely known that he was not to be my father. Oh, that's interesting. Like my, my dad, my actual biological father held sway. And I don't know, that might've just been, uh, that might've just been people's personalities and the way that they were. It may also have been your impression as a child that yeah. wasn't necessarily correct. But yes. Yeah. But, right. you know, and e- even now I think back on it and a lot of those, you know, those impressions yeah. that I don't know exactly where they came from obviously have a, a kind of a, a an element that's shared. And it's like this idea of an extremely kind of forward, strong male figure. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, my dad. And I guess we should both say, like, we were both raised by boomers. And and you and I are um, technically the very tail end of Generation X, unless you count the Zennials. And then that's what we are, born in 1978. So that should say a little bit about, like, just kind of how the, the, the upbringing that we both had as far as, like, gender normative and sort of patriarchal kind of... Um, uh, uh, points of view yeah i suppose right yeah, yeah. And, and you know and i knew especially in later years I, I came to understand that my dad when he was like when he was raised his his mother was a very um i wouldn't say strict but she was not known to be the most affectionate hmm. mother and his father, at least when they were younger, was an alcoholic. You know, he he. By the time I was old enough to know my grandfather, he was a recovering alcoholic. He never drank. He was like this really, really, really sweet guy, really smart, really you know, uh, listening to NPR constantly, smoking his pipe. Like he was just a really, really great grandfather. That sounds like my mom's dad. Actually, <laughs> I mean, he didn't smoke a pipe, but he would have been listening to NPR or some yep. sort of classic. Yeah, reading music. reading the stocks and all that. Yeah. Like he, he he was very conservative. Like not conservative. 
he was actually very liberal, but he was very conservative with his money. He knew uh, he was smart with his money. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, you know, coming, my dad came from that. And then he moved out of Michigan. Like they were all raised in Michigan. He moved out of Michigan when they were, I don't know. I think he was in his early twenties after my sister and I came around. Um, and after they were divorced, I think what he wanted to do was impress upon me. He wanted to be more, more like kind of a more involved than his parents were. Your biological father yes. is what you're talking about. Yes. And after the divorce. Yes. And luckily you guys live close by. So he was able to, to um, still be an active yeah. part of your life. Yeah. We were like right. 30, 45 minutes away. Yeah. And I remember, you know, when I was much younger, like when I was seven, eight, whatever, I remember really looking forward to going over to my dad's because um he he let me play hard right like he i always had like you know pellet guns and 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 bows and arrows and all kinds of fun shit when i went over there but also the other thing that i you know that i always did it was always like it was like work camp in a sense i'd go over there and it would be like i would have these chores or i'd have to go do like you know basically work on him like construction projects or, or landscaping projects with him every single time and that got to the point where as I got older, it got to where I was doing, I was like mowing, you know, the neighbor's yards and, and like, I was just constantly working. Okay. So this literally did not stop until recently when we haven't gone to Texas, because even when I first met you, we met in early December yeah. of 2012 oh, yeah. and then you went to Texas for Christmas yep. and we, you know, texted and talked on the phone and stuff while you yep. were gone, just newly getting to know each other, but there were three days where we had no contact yeah. because you went out to like excavate property in the hill country yeah, we're of out, Texas. Not right? excavating, but no, we were no, we, we went out to the hill brush country. Clearing. Uh, no, no, or, tree, tree clearing. Or tree clearing. Excuse yeah. me, that's harder than brush clearing, I guess, is what you're getting at. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that just kind of never stopped. So what is so then what what were the lessons that were imprinted upon you, regardless of whether or not it was your father's intention? What did you take into your teens, your twenties, and and your you know early thirties? Where where did that put your head? This boys are made to to work, right? Because you yeah. always had chores, but your sister did not. Is that right? No, no, she had chores. They just weren't the same type as mine. I see. Okay, and like okay. like at my dad's house, she really didn't. Okay. But, and that's what I'm saying, because that's what you've you vocalized it to me before is like that some of where you were getting those lessons was, you know, that you were the one that was put to work because yeah. that's just what men do. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, obviously, the those those years kind of conditioned me yeah. to one to in order to like seeking approval from my father was synonymous with busting my ass working on something. You know, and if I wasn't if I wasn't doing some sort of manual labor project, I was doing book reports or I was doing math problems that were three or four years beyond my, you know, beyond my grade level. That's because you're smart. Because, well, no, I mean, he always pushed. He always pushed. It was like, okay, well, you know, I went to one of the one of actually the best school systems in the nation. And that wasn't enough. Like it was, you know constant additional things that he wanted me to do. He wanted me to read this and read that, which I read some great stuff and I was exposed to some really, really great literature. And mm-hmm. I think in a lot of ways, he, he really wanted to just prepare me. Right. He wanted to prepare me to be like, um, I don't know what you just call kind of a baller, right? Like he just mm-hmm. wanted me to, to be the the kind of manly man that can go out and do all of these things and be a provider. And he, I think he thought that these lessons were, 
were the kind of key to unlocking that part of me. And I think he was right in a way. Well, you certainly have an incredible like work ethic and that probably stems from some of that. I feel the same. Like I got my first job at 14, yeah. you know, my, cause my mom was like, well, if you want money then, yeah. and it's, you know, I worked a day a week at pizza hut or whatever the mm-hmm. fuck, but yeah, I mean, those are some of the things that I, um, cherish from yeah. my parents. I remember when you and I first met, the thing that was really interesting is we talked about how, um, we had some similarities with our, with our youth as far as kind of being pushed, like that academics were mm-hmm. really an important thing. Um, and that was definitely something that was kind of pervasive and well, my mom's side of the family for sure. Yeah. Uh, which we were closer to simply cause I lived with my mother. Yeah. Um, and my dad was in another state, not just, you know, a few miles away, Yeah. but, um, but yeah, like those those lessons of being, you know, uh, when you're younger, being taught, you know, to have like a work ethic. I don't think that's a negative thing. But you you internalized these lessons yeah. in in a way that I know now you you sort of question, like, well, is this what my dad intended? But it doesn't really matter because Correct. you <laughs> you internalize these lessons in a way that. Um, you ended up feeling almost never really satisfied yeah. in it. And it went into your your relationships mm-hmm. too. And I know you and I actually deal with this sometimes. Yes. Like if I if I try sometimes just to sort of like take a break from the mess of the world, I, I tend to feel guilty because I know that what makes you sort of feel like satisfied, I guess, is somebody is just working all the time. Like you're working on, on, you know, regular work or a project or the, or chores or, or like whatever. And it's very much how you view, uh, it was a lot of self worth, but also like other people yes. as well. Right. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So talk about that. And how did that affect your relationship? Oh then? man. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. So, you know, going back to, uh, my entire sense of, of value of like self valuation came from, what can I do? Yeah. Right. Like what, what things, what acts of service can I put forth to, to earn my way? And not even just to earn my way, like monetarily to earn my way emotionally. Right. But unfortunately you projected that onto other people too. Like it it became their standard. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I became a very hypercritical person because of it, because I looked back and I was like, I've been working every day forever. (laughs) And, um, what, what what are you doing for me? It's really what it came down to. It was sort of a tit for tat. Like, because you sort of learned uh, that that is you're how not, people show affection, right? Like if you're not if you're not working, then you're not. Um, yeah, like you said, showing showing affection. Yeah, right. You're not trying. You're not. You're not with this other person trying to help. You know, guide this ship through your fucking life or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think there's probably a, a, a part of me that is a little neurotic as well. Um, I always, I'm always kind of thinking like tick tock, tick tock, tick tock. Like this is the one resource we never get back. Yeah. Well, so let's talk about the voice as you referred to, because that kind of ties right into that. Mm -hmm. So you had three really serious relationships before you met me Mm -hmm. um, through your twenties and early Mm thirties. 
and you were not happy in any of them, essentially. I mean, not that you didn't have happy moments, but you had this voice and yeah. talk about it. Like what, what was that? Yeah. Um, so I had like my first like serious, serious relationship at was actually after college. Um, I had just graduated and I, I met a girl named Carrie. Um, just absolutely wonderful, wonderful person, beautiful girl, very, very sweet. Head um, over heels, first love is what you're Absolutely. About. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It was the first time I actually felt like this was it, like, yeah. I, th- I think anybody. <laughs> it's hard to describe yeah, being yeah, in yeah. love, but when you know, like if you've yeah. been in love, you can understand what somebody means because it's just different. And yeah. suddenly you're like, oh, this is what. This is it they were talking yeah. about <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah and and she and i like for the first couple of years everything was really really great um things started to kind of i think it was after sometime after she graduated and she was a couple of years behind me and you know i, I think i had a, uh, I had graduated right around the time the dot-com bubble burst and <laughs> yeah. and so yes, like we were we are that generation yeah, so, where everything went fucking haywire <laughs> yeah so like everybody that like all the people that were in my in my like um uh, kind of in, in the sequences that I was doing in school, they all, they all graduated early and they all found these, you know, really, really cush jobs. Um, some of them kept them after the dot-com bubble burst, but a lot of people got laid off and there was like in Austin, there was just no jobs that were worth a shit. So I ended up taking just a, you know, a bunch of like you know, temp jobs and all this other type of stuff. And she ended up getting, a, I think she ended up working at a, at Dell um, in Austin and as we sort of settled into like, okay, this is the post college, like this is the working world. I think some disillusionment started to set in mm-hmm. and I started kind of uh, this, this, this is when the, the voice started kind of coming into my head mm-hmm. and it usually said one word, run, run, run and it became a very repetitive thing to just like get out of the get relationship. out yeah get out and weren't you kind of dealing i feel like you were explaining to me is that you know when you graduated from college at this time and there was no job market and you weren't in this cush job and you weren't this sort of provider and, and so if that's not the case then clearly this relationship isn't going to work yeah i think a lot of it did have to do with me feeling somewhat inadequate yeah i couldn't really be the you know and and it wasn't for not working i was working three jobs um but i wasn't i wasn't making a whole lot of money and um i was pissed yeah i felt like i've you know i felt like i studied my ass off i went to school on like a full ride full scholarship and i I studied my ass off and I, I, and I worked during college too. Like it, I never, I never really took any time off. I was always going and to put all that work in and then at the end of it, feel like you're entitled to something and not get it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, and I guess I just let that, I, I didn't realize that was happening. I didn't realize that that was my unhappiness. Well, was, sure, a lot was, of this is hindsight. Yeah. Of course. yeah. My yeah. sense, my sense of entitlement <laughs> at the time was what triggered my sense of sort of uh, anger. Oh, that's interesting. Cause you were like, well, I worked hard my yeah. whole life and I was told that this would pay yeah. off. Yeah. Yeah. I was raised to believe that. Right. You know, that's, that, that's the whole, one of the central fallacies of the American experience. If you work hard, you will make it. Yeah. That, and it's not true. It's not true. Yeah. I mean, it's true for some people, but some people work their, you know, work their asses off their entire lives and never make shit. Yeah. Other people never work at all. And you know, they've got a, they got a trust fund. So, um, 
So this voice that told you, like, run, 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 none of this is going to ever work, lasted through three relationships. Yeah. Well, I mean, we'll talk a little bit more about, but it's not that the voice didn't come up when you and I were together. It just sort of dissipated after well, I mean, amount of time, you know, of being together. you know, fool me once, fool me twice, fool me thrice. Like, I think it, it, it took me three. <laughs> don't get fooled again. Yeah. It, it, a, yeah. <laughs> well, Bush. I'm sorry. Don't even bring that up. <laughs> but that that's what pops into my head. Won't get fooled again. Anyways. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that that relationship, we ended up breaking up and then getting back together. And we ended up moving to Dallas. And, you know, she was working and I was working. And, and it, it was kind of the same thing. Neither of us was really doing what we wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And so we ended up, I ended, like one day I ended up just being like, it's over, like just out of the blue. And that was it. And she ended up going to, I think, working in a place in Tahoe after that. And I, uh, I moved up to Seattle, like right after that. Actually, I moved down to Austin again for a few months. Right. You were dating somebody fairly early on in your relationship. And she also came to Seattle with you. That was yeah. your second really big, like relationship. Right? Yeah. 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 Um, so yeah, that was a uh, my my second really long term relationship. A girl named Brandy, another just absolutely lovely person. Um, she moved up here to be with me, um, but I don't think either of us had really thought it through, <laughs> and um, the weird thing was is that the reason why she and I ended up splitting up was because I ended up having coffee with my ex she was in town for something and i ended up meeting her over at actually over at um the pig and whistle which is now the angry beaver i know and that's funny because we the the zero shame stories uh, yeah. podcast that came out uh let's see last sunday yeah we talk about that location because it became yeah. our friend's bar later yeah. on yeah i know it's a weird coincidence but that's right. So your your second real big relationship caught you with your first big real relationship. Yeah. <laughs> Not doing anything Not wrong, doing anything. No, just having but, coffee. But she right, was... Right, but you also didn't tell her that you... Right? Correct. Or yeah, so yeah. that's what there was. was. I mean, there was a lot of jealousy because <laughs> it turns out that I talk in my sleep. Um, I don't know if I, this happens anymore, but... Um, there was a lot of issues where I would I'd basically I'd be you know in bed with Brandy sleeping and I would say things like Carrie I love you. Oh, in you did my it sleep. to me. You did it to me when we were early dating. I I thought that we had talked about this, but maybe just not recently. Um, but we were newly dating. It was in within just a few months, and you and I had not said I love you yet at this point. I don't believe, and I think we were going to bed, and you f- like. I don't even know that if you were asleep, but it was just kind of automatic that you you rolled over and you were just like, I love you, Carrie. Good night. And I was like, what the fuck? Well, <laughs> and I knew who she was. Like you had told me, yeah. you had told me who she was and that she was your first love and yeah. that you really never got over no, her. You went, you took, went through it, two more relationships still in love with her. Yeah. And even when we met, you were clearly telling her good night. That was really early on. But but here's the the interesting thing. So something happened right around that same time that I did not know about until years later, which was right around the time you were actually, I wonder if you had talked to her maybe the same day that you said, I love you, Carrie, to me, because the timing is exactly the same and that would kind of make sense. But she contacted you when you and I were early dating and tried to get back together yeah we had actually um i was in i had gone down to san diego she was living in la at the time and i had gone down to san diego um mm-hmm. for work 
and we ended up uh, getting like meeting and just having a lunch or something out in a, at Data, Dana Point, which is kind of halfway between Los Angeles and San Diego. And, you know, we had, after we had lunch, we went and just kind of walked down the beach and we were talking about, you know, this is this is what she had been doing those years, what I had been, been doing those years. And it had been a while. Like, I think it had probably been probably seven, eight years at this point. Since um, your final breakup. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. And uh, we had talked about, you know, you know, what would have happened if we would have stayed together? And she and she was always kind of funny about it. She's like, yeah, I would have popped out some kids and we'd still be living in fucking Dallas. And I was like, you're probably right, actually. Yeah. Um, so you kind of reminisced about it. You both went home. She considered it a little further and called you later. And yeah. by that time, you and I had been dating for, I don't know, a couple months or yeah. something. Yeah, and she's like, "Should we try again?" And you, you told her no. I told you her no. It's me, and you didn't even know me at yeah. the time. Yeah, <laughs> I think that that's probably one of the most kind of fateful decisions I'd ever made, and I, I guess I didn't really realize it at the time. But and I didn't know until until years later. You, yeah, you confessed to me that yeah. that happened, and now I am I I. I feel like I could actually say with some certainty that you must have said good night, Carrie. I love you to me right after you spoke to her because the timing is just exactly yeah, the same. I time. wouldn't yeah. be surprised. Yeah, um, yeah. I re- and I remember, it and I was like, okay, he. You know, it definitely hit me. Yeah. Because I'm like, great. <laughs> like I know yeah. who she is because we talked about past relationships, um, and I I didn't tell you about that until a while yeah. later either. But I just sort of I was like, well, okay. He's asleep or something. Let me, you know, I'll forgive this for now and see what happens. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I found out later. So you chose me or you told her, I want to see where this goes. Yeah. And so now nine years later, here we are making a podcast. But. Yeah. <laughs> so so the, the voice thing sort of followed me through all of those relationships. It, it started when I was with Carrie and then it yeah. followed it followed me or followed through when I was with, with Brandy. And I think also sort of like in a way sort of like chasing the shadow of my first love through my relationship with Brandy and then through another relationship that I had after that with another person. Um, I think there was, you know, I, I think I had always regretted um, breaking it off with Carrie. Cause we did, we had a connection. Like it was, it was very, a very intense connection that we shared. And I, while I was really, you know, especially like with Brandy, we had a, we had a really, really great relationship and a connection too, but it, it always seemed cause it wasn't the first time, right? It well, wasn't sure. my first love. So everything else felt a little, a little sort of almost weak sauce compared mm. to that. Um, and so I think a, a mixture of that and then the voice always set in after some amount of time, it's never within the first year, but you know, it's somewhere in year one or year two of a relationship. The voice kind of kicks in, starts to run, run, run. And it makes me, you know, I start to act out cause I'd sort of suppress it and I'd be like, Oh no. And I just keep things bottled up and then I'd just like blow up for no reason at all, which yeah, I, I'm sure you don't know. You don't know what that's about. <laughs> yeah. I've um, never seen you do that. It's weird. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you and I end up meeting, um, and after our, uh, you know, sort of wild, sexy romping, you know, beginning sure. as we sort of settled into, um, our, our more, you know, the, the sort of early part of our relationship. Yeah, and these are the early years, you know, for the listeners, you can think back to episode three that I hate you don't leave me. So these are the, like the early years where Ben is dealing with this voice that's always telling him to run and his new girlfriend is acting like a fucking lunatic. So how the fuck we ever got through that? I really am not even entirely sure. 
Yeah, yeah a, a lot. Because <laughs> you, you did, you did hear the, you did hear the voice oh, with yeah. me. And and what was interesting is like, so you you went out to like a show one night with some buddy, and you met a girl there, and yeah, uh, you started fantasizing. Well, what kind of if I was someone with somebody else, and you looked her up on Facebook, yeah. And then um, this was at the exact same time, which is why we put episode three first, so you guys would understand this, that I was crossing boundaries and looking at Ben's phone or his computer history or whatever, always trying to find something. Yeah. And I came across this, and I saw that he spent quite a bit of time looking at this girl's Facebook page, and I could see where she lived. And then he very casually tells me, I'm going to go get a drink. Or, I'm sorry, not where she lived, where she worked. She was a bartender or something. And then he says to me very casually, I'm going to head down and get a drink at such and such. And it was that exact place. And I figured it out. And yeah. I was like, you are interested in someone else. And you you denied it. And you lied about that for yeah, about did. six years, I think. I lied. Yeah. I, li <laughs> I, I mean, I definitely lied about it that that uh, that at that time and not then did not time. bring it up. Not yeah. only that time, but I, I bothered you about that for a little bit. Yeah. And you finally, you were like, no, you yeah. know, you have to drop this. I finally fessed it. And, fessed to it. Right. But then because of something else that happened yeah. via our poly relationship, yeah. that came up and you finally admitted it to yeah. me. And um, that was the closest probably that we came to real destruction because yeah. I was, you know, it was when I was just acting completely inappropriate yeah. and you still had this instinct of like, I, I gotta get out of yeah. here. Yeah. I gotta so get what'd out you and stay she, for? Why and she was, you, I mean, she was nice to you. She was really, really nice. Like yeah, she course, was, yeah. she was, she was good looking. She was, she was, she seemed like she was pretty smart and she was really, really nice to me. And at that time, and we should be clear at that time we were doing monogamy. So this would, you know, yeah, that's why it was hidden. And yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway. Well, whether we were doing monogamy or not, I lied. Like well, I understand still, that. Right. But yeah. 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 We don't lie to each other just because of Polly. But what I was saying is, you meeting someone and being attracted to her was outside of the boundaries, yes. our current, our boundaries at that time. Yeah. Is what I was trying to definitely. Mean. Yeah. Um. But yeah. Anyways. Yeah. Yeah. You you hid that for me, and it, it did eventually come out, which I appreciated because I. Was fairly certain I knew the truth, and was you kind of gaslit me? Is what happened, yeah. and then I thought I was crazy for it. Um, and so, I mean, we've obviously worked that out because we're sitting here talking about it mm -hmm. casually. Um, but that was an issue, and that and it and it brought us close to to destruction. Yeah. My, you know, in my inappropriate behavior and your sort of instincts. How did we get past that? Like, where was it along the line that you started to change your mind about? what a relationship is or what, what your part in it is and what it meant to, to, you know, be a man in it, in a partnership. I yeah. Like, how did you start changing your mind about that? And I, did it have to do with, with our society, our, the demographics sort of changing in this country? No. Or did you come to it on your own? No, I don't think it all it, sort of happened at the same time. Yeah, yeah, I don't. I don't think it really had anything to do with external forces. Now, I, I don't actually know that. I can't. Mm -hmm. I can't say that there is no connection to to the kind of larger, the larger societal things that are happening. But um, it honestly, it was born more of a stubbornness that I was like, "Look, okay, I've I've seen myself do the same thing over." And over and over. I've seen myself do it three times over a span of many, many years. Mm -hmm. And I am the 
you know, I, I, I'm the one thing in each of these that doesn't change. Right. I'm, sure. I'm, I'm the sort of the, the commonality of all of these different things. So I started doing a little bit of, um, self-reflection, which was terrifying. Um, yeah, it's not easy because for, you know, the first time I had to, I had to start realizing like, maybe I, maybe I am the problem. Maybe I've got, maybe I'm the one with the issues and I'm the one that needs to figure these things out. And what it, what it ultimately came down to was that I had a mistaken notion of what a relationship was, of what love was. I had always sort of compared everything to that first relationship where I didn't know fuck all, you know, not, neither <laughs> of us did. Well, you're what? 20. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, very, very young and naive. And, um, there was always this idea that I was, I was missing something better. Right. And that's ultimately what the run was because there was something telling me that you can do better. You can be better. You can make your situation better. But without really examining what better meant. And do you think that came from that you sort of twisted this the the lesson of a work ethic when you were younger into it, it always has yes. to be more and it always has to be better. And that's kind of how you, yes. Cause it sounds to me a little bit of a, a little bit of a twist and a little bit of a stretch, but I can see how you could get there mentally. Yeah. Um, you know, n- never, never underestimate the human capacity for twisting shit up <laughs> yeah. um, or for making up a narrative to feel comfortable. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Find something that fits the facts and make up the story afterward. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I think, um, you know, I had, I'd always, I told myself once again, you know, you've always worked hard. You've always, you know, you've, you've been, you've been this sort of like, you've been the rock, right. In all these relationships, you've been the rock. Um, you deserve more, you deserve better. But at the time, like, again, you know, the, the more, more thing was also, and I think part of it was also that like, um, I didn't necessarily want even more support from my partner. I just wanted to be able to do whatever I wanted, you know, oh, yeah. when well, it comes down to it, like I, and that's not a relationship. No, that's, <laughs> it's not, you know, and I thought, I thought, you know, I thought a relationship was some was this place where you you could be, I don't even know how to describe it. Cause it seems so fucking like, it just seems so absurd to me now. Um, but a, you know, a, a relationship would be basically somebody who would just kind of kowtow and let me kind of walk all over them and be, how in the fuck did you end up with me? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I think that's you and I, while, while kind of like oil and water, sometimes um, the fact that we both have that, I'm going to Capac- do whatever the fuck the, I want. Our, attitude. <laughs> our capacity for bulldozing people. Yeah. Um, we sort of locked horns and for, for some years. And I think yeah. e- even until, even to like recently we had, we've been having some, some issues about that type of stuff. Well, COVID has definitely, yeah. you know, when you're just only with one person for yeah. a, almost a year and a half. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so there's some of that too. Yeah. Um, but, but sort of circling, circling back to yeah. like, you know, getting back to the voice and how did I, and how did I overcome it or how did I kind of 
Well, it hasn't really gone totally away, right? I mean, every once in a while it nags at you and it's just like, but you've gotten to the point where you uh, can talk yourself out of it, I guess, right? Is that sort of where you feel like you are? Yeah. I mean, you know what it is? It's sort of like when when you drive a car and your alignment's a little bit off. Right. You're, it pulls slightly to the right or slightly to the left. Yeah. All right. Um, now if you don't do anything about it, you'll eventually run off the road. And that's what I did three times in a row. Okay. That's a really good analogy. Babe. So with this one, it's like there's something slightly misaligned in my in my sense of fulfillment and my sense of happiness or my sense of like belonging. Ultimately, that's really the issue with me is the sense of well, belonging that I this, never feel. You apply this to all areas of your life, not just our relationship. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But I eventually learned how to just kind of correct Mm. when the pressure kind of started to build. I would, I would, I would recognize it. Right. I would recognize Mm -hmm. it, that this isn't necessary. This isn't really real other than being electrical impulses in my brain. There's no, there's nothing really externally that's causing this. I'm just having the same sort of almost like a panicked reaction well, that's how I feel like that's how I deal with anxiety, you know, attacks, panic attacks yeah. is to tell myself like, okay, so your brain is flipping out, but there's not actually anything wrong. So just kind of chill, like ride out these emotions and, you know, see if you can get through it. It sounds like you're using similar tools. Yeah. Well, why, but why did you decide to? Because you could have just kept driving off the road your whole life. Was it just like, was it middle age? Was it, <laughs> was it me? Was it a combo? Was you know, because... You've been, you know, you turned 43 years ago. You're at that middle age. There's a stereotypical kind of school of thought about middle-aged men and how they're unhappy in their lives. And you seem to be making the decision to further commit to your life as opposed to yeah. the opposite at this age, which I find interesting. Yeah. Well, don't, um, you know, never underestimate again um, the um, cautionary tale of parents. What do you mean? Oh, like divorce? No, the like if you if you can see yourself or see, you know, the the, the qualities of one of your parents in you and you can see where they have gone and see like at at the age that they are, where are they really like, are they happy? Are they, you know, where? And that's what I again, I see that as in in the case of like my father, I see it as a cautionary tale. Mm -hmm. I'm a lot like him. Um, you know, they always say it's a bit of nature and it's a bit of nurture. Well, half of my genes came from him and I was definitely raised with the kind of strong father kind of archetype. And I thought that that was the way I was supposed to be. Right. Mm -hmm. And I found out that most of that was just hubris. Um, none of it None of it was really, none of it took into account any real like empathy. It was all a facade of, of manliness of what it meant to be a provider, to be self-reliant, to be, you know, the shot caller, to be all of those things that, that, that weak men think strong men do. (laughs) Yeah. And that's the, that's like the MAGA archetype. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You see, you see a far, far higher propensity for that in people that are, that are, you know, conservative minded or whatever, because, um, because it is black and white for them. These 
concepts as you're kind of going through and shedding off some of the things that you used to believe, how do you navigate through that and still feel like I I am masculine, I am a man? How, what are you doing for that? Uh, nine inch cock. <laughs> <Stop>. <laughs> First of all, <laughs> I've seen it. Not quite nine inches. <laughs> but I got, I got a rep to keep here. <laughs> but anywho, what I'm wondering, because I have seen a change in you over the these few years, what definition are you adopting if you're trying to shed your old one? I'm not honestly. I'm not really sure. I, I think mm-hmm. all it all it is is sort of taking. The idea of masculinity in and of itself, I think I've, I've just kind of had to try to turn it on its ear a bit. Well, that's an answer. I mean, the answer is, how are you defining it? And you could say, well, I'm just kind of not like I don't yeah. I don't need to, I which is a I, statement in and of itself. Yeah, I think that's it, yeah. that's really what it is. It's yeah. like, OK, my my being, uh, you know, cisgender male, you know, easily the, the, the most vanilla of demographics. Um <laughs> You know, I, I there, there's a certain, you know, obviously there's a benefit to it. There's a benefit to being white. There's a benefit to being male. Yeah. Uh, but I had no choice in either of those. And therefore I'm not really proud of them. They're not things that I, they're not things I earned. Um, so the, the, the sort of masculinity that goes along with that, um, I'm sure there's a, you know, there's a certain, um, Obviously, there's a certain kind of sexual component to that of wanting to be, you know, seen as like a strong man. Um, yeah, well, but what's interesting about that, if you want to bring up sexual components, is that some people would view the fact that you're okay with your wife sleeping with other people as not a manly thing to do. Sure. <laughs> when yeah. really, I mean, to, to like from my point of view, the ability to allow your partner the space to explore who they are without you know putting those restraints on them that seems pretty fucking manly to me really it certainly requires a more um command over your ego mm-hmm. yeah um but i think the other thing that that people that that can't understand that or are unwilling to understand that mm-hmm. um what they what they miss and i think really and this is the kind of goes back to the thing that i I was saying earlier they don't seem to really understand empathy Hmm. like just just because my wife takes pleasure in being with somebody else i can either see that as a threat or i can just be happy that she's happy right yeah compersion compersion um, not an easy thing, no. right? Like that's something like uh, intellectually, I know this, but I still war with it. I'd still have, have some difficulty with it because the ego is a powerful part of our psyche. Um, it is a survival, you know, it, it is our sort of survival buoy. Um, plus, you know, in our society, like if we're going to get a little bit into the poly conversation. We're just drilled with monogamy, monogamy, monogamy. It's the way it's what's appropriate. Like, drilled. You know, as you're coming up. And so when you step outside of that, you like immediately feel 
this is wrong. This is uncomfortable yeah. Yeah. or yeah. I'm not, you know, a man or yeah. whatever. Um, had we not been conditioned yeah. to think that that was dirty and wrong, yeah. then we probably wouldn't have those reactions. You know? Yeah. And I, you know, I think people would, you know, people that say that like, okay, if you, you let your wife sleep with somebody else, how can you do that? You're just, you're just a cuck. And I mean, you, you could be a technically be a cuck sure, you if could. you watched. You could, you could, yeah. <laughs> you could technically, but sure. it doesn't. It's people use that as an insult just yeah. to, to challenge what you, your you know masculinity or your manliness or something like that. Uh, when yeah, I mean, a cuckold is like an actual thing. You yeah. don't happen to be one, but that's not you know neither yeah. here nor there. <laughs> but but I think but I think if you actually got honest answers from most people that that would that would uh, look down on mm-hmm. on ethical non-monogamy and if you really got honest answers from them I guarantee you the way that their their worldview would would look would be that my wife sleeping with another man is an assault on my masculinity. Right, exactly. But yeah, sure. my sleeping with another woman that makes you a king. <laughs> that just makes you a king. Yeah. yeah. So you know that's you, called the patriarchy. Dear. Yeah. Yeah. You know you want to have your cake. You want to have your cake and eat it too. I get it. You know. Obviously, I think one of the main reasons why you know why that why I had the voice run 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 was actually saying fuck 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 like you want someone else you want something else you want some strange. Yeah. Well, we both like that. So yeah. It works for us. I mean, I think, and once you you know, if you can just actually not fucking lie to yourself about it. And not not be so afraid. You're so funny. It's, you're like always trying to talk people out of monogamy. <laughs> <laughs> I swear, every conversation we have, and I'm like, you know, we're not against monogamy. You're like, yeah, I am. <laughs> yeah. I think it's, you know, it's fine for some people, but... Um, it's fine for lots of people, and you don't need to talk anyone out of It's fine for <laughs> lots of people. <laughs> Poor bastards. <sighs> I don't judge. That's that's all you, man. Uh, I would <laughs> never call myself non-judgmental. <laughs> well, of course. I mean, we all are. That's how we survive, is by like making judgments. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um. All right. So, I mean, this has been an interesting chat, Bam. I'm proud of you for opening up for this recording for those of you listening who haven't been in a relationship with Ben for almost nine years. You may not know that that's very hard for him. So. I appreciate it. You okay? Yeah, I'm fine. (laughs) Yeah. um, You know, I mean, I guess I'm not, I'm not sure what more to, to say about it other than, you know, it's been interesting being in a relationship with you, watching you sort of through this journey where you kind of were like, wait a second, I don't, I don't have to live a certain way if I'm not happy. Like it's not. It was almost like you were trying to live into a definition yes. without ever considering Examining whether or was. not the definition was something that you even agreed with. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's still going to be, we're, you know, it's a continual journey, I'm sure, for you, for us, and, you know, within this relationship. But I happen to personally find you a hell of a lot sexier and manlier the more softer and open you become. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> So I guess that's my definition of manliness. I don't know. Is, yeah. there, is there anything else you you feel like you want to say? You want to get off your chest today? Um, no, not really. Okay. Well, other than maybe some of the chest hair, like <laughs> thin that out a bit. Yeah. 
<laughs> okay. <laughs> well, then I guess we'll just say thank you to the listeners and let them know that two weeks from today, we are going to tell you about our trip to the sex club <laughs> and how amazeballs it was. <laughs> That's one, one term I guess you could use for it. <laughs> All right. We'll see you back on the 19th. Bye, everybody. Bye, y'all. Mowage is a Space Bear Media production. Executive produced by me, Lacey J. Sound engineering and original music by the sexiest husband around, Benjamin Trent. You can reach us at spacebear underscore media on Instagram and Twitter. And you can find more of me at Zero Shame 40s on Facebook and TikTok. 